You know, every so often, God gives a generation someone who's seemingly larger than life. And I think that uh, one person from not too many years ago that fits that bill is a guy by the name of Robin Williams. You remember this guy? You know, when when he graduated from high school in 1969, he was voted by his classmates both the funniest and the most likely, or excuse me, the least likely to succeed. In 1973, he and Christopher Reeve were the only two students to be accepted into the advanced program at the Juilliard School, which is one of the world's leading drama, music, and dance schools. But you and I, the American public, got got to know him first, probably, on the Mork and Mindy TV show where he played Mork from Ork. And this guy was just wild and zany. I mean, you never knew how he would act. You never knew what he might say. Uh, One person that knew him well said that he was like an inflated balloon where all the air was just released at once. And uh, then he got into movies. And can you imagine a better Popeye than Robin Williams? And then he took his uh, wild and sometimes uh, profane humor to Vietnam, where he played a character that broke all the rules, trying to keep the troops entertained with his daily radio show. And even when he played a more serious role, like in Dead Poets Society, again, his character broke the rules, and he captured the hearts and the minds of his students by any means necessary. But, you know, in his heart of hearts, I think Robin Williams was always a boy. And perhaps that's why he was so good at playing Peter Pan in the movie Hook. Uh, But I think that probably his most iconic role that he ever played was one movie in which he never actually appeared on screen because he was the voice of Genie in Disney's Aladdin. And we've never viewed Genies the same way since. Then he played a man who was so desperate to spend time with his kids that he would do anything in the movie Mrs. Doubtfire. And uh, then there came along this, uh, this silly movie, as if the others weren't silly enough. Uh, and it was based on a, a board game that actually came to life in Jumanji. And who could ever forget how much he looked exactly like Teddy Roosevelt in Night Night at the Museum. And as far as we know, he probably sounded and acted like Teddy Roosevelt did too, right? You think about all these incredible personas, all of these wonderful characters, how, how that much talent and ingenuity and brilliance could be wrapped up into one person. One man, it's truly amazing to think about. And yet, as you uh, probably, perhaps already know, sometimes, oftentimes, the funniest people that we encounter, in reality, use their humor to cover up the sadness and depression that they feel inside. Sometimes it's as if our smiles are forced, like we overcompensate for the sadness we feel. It's almost like we're, we're not sure sometimes whether the next thing to come out of our mouth is going to be a laugh or a cry. 
for Robin Williams, he didn't really understand it, and no one really did until after he died, but he was facing a reality that wasn't known at the time, a medical situation, a condition that affected his brain, the same brain that gave us all these incredible characters. His ailment was a very specific type of dementia that caused him to quickly shift from one minute to the next between being very clear and lucid to having uh, periods where he was confused, completely lost, where he couldn't remember one line that was given to him in a movie. And when the news broke that Robin Williams committed suicide, People were shocked. People were upset. No one understood why. Here's this extremely talented man that became so much a part of our experiences, and now he's forever gone and gone at his own hands. But I think a very interesting thing happened, a very troubling thing happened in society. People turned very quickly from thinking and discussing his death to simply ignoring it as if it almost never happened and just simply celebrating his life. I mean, for many people and many media outlets, it was almost as if his death or the nature of it never happened. Other than the psychologist making the obligatory rounds on the talk shows to talk about mental health, the collective attitude of society was this. Oh, he died? How sad. How did he die? Oh, that is, that's really too bad. Well, these things happen, I guess. What's a person to do? That's life. As the French say, c'est la vie. And left me wondering, say la vie, that's life, that's our attitude, that's all we have to say about death, about suicide, that, oh well, I guess it just happens sometimes. I mean, if that's our attitude, we might as well call it like it really is. Say la mort, that's death, oh well. The reality today is that people are given so over to imaginary things, given over to fantasies, given over to the temporary things of life, that we give hardly any consideration to the reality of death. And I think it's a coping mechanism for society. When someone dies, or even they die by suicide, for society to just quickly jump into, let's just remember their life and pretend the reality of the death never happened. And when people do think about death, I believe very much so these days, they come to believe lies about the nature of death. You see, nobody thinks about death more than the person that is contemplating suicide. And when a person is seriously contemplating suicide, the lies that that person comes to believe about death are made so clear that they even verbalize the lies, or at least 
think about them in very clear statements that they tell themselves. You see, from that spirit of depression comes upon a person and everything just seems so dark and all that person can see is the gloominess and more and more despair that person becomes prone to believing those lies that are whispered into his or her mind and I want to talk about some of these lies and expose them for the counterfeits that they really are today one of the lies that people tell themselves, people that are considering suicide, tell themselves, is this. Well, no one understands what I'm going through. That's a lie. That's an outright lie. You are not the first person to go through that darkness, to go through that condition, to go through that hurt. There are other people that that have gone through it too. That can help you. What you need to do is tell someone that you trust who can help you find someone who has walked in your shoes and survived. Someone who's gone through what you're going through and is stronger for it now. You know, so many of us, when we get in that deep, dark depression, we just want to wallow in it. And feel sorry for ourselves and hold it all in. But listen to me. God has given us one another. You are a part of a community. You are a part of a spiritual family. We have one another. You are not alone. Young person, you need to talk to your mom or to your dad about what's going on in your life. Talk to your youth minister. Talk to your pastor. Find someone that you trust that you can open up your life to and be just a little bit vulnerable. Someone that has your best interests in mind, they are out there. But you have to speak up. And maybe you're saying, well, you know, I tried to tell someone, but they didn't listen, or they didn't understand, or they were too busy. Then find someone else. Find someone else. Talk to someone else. There is help for you. There is someone who understands what you're going through. Life, your life, is too important for you to stop short of finding someone who can walk with you. God has given us one another. There is someone who understands what you're going through. Another lie that people say, well, it doesn't matter if I kill myself. That's a lie. Your life does matter. You see, the reality is, the Bible says that there is appointed a time for every one of us in which we will die. Okay, it's coming someday, but it should not come at your hands. You are not qualified enough to determine the date of your death. You may have the ability, but you're not qualified enough. Only God is. You leave that in God's hands. There's coming a time when you will die. And when you die, your loved ones will be hurt. But if you die at your own hands, they will be hurt immeasurably more. 
Because forever they will have to live with the doubt and the guilt that perhaps they could have done something to stop it. And if you take that away from them, you take that ability for them to perhaps stop you, you take it away from them by killing yourself, then you've done a terrible disservice to the people that love you. If you think that, well, my life doesn't matter, you think, well, my death doesn't matter, then you have wrongly concluded that you are the only one affected by your life. The truth is, your life brings joy and happiness to other people. And you might say, well, I I don't feel that way. I, I, I don't feel like anyone loves me. No one loves me. Listen to me, that's another lie. That is another lie. People do love you. So let's just call it what it is today, okay? Are there people in this world who are jerks? Sure. Are there people in this world who are mean? Yes. Are there people in this world who don't like you? Perhaps so, okay? But if they don't like you, that is their problem. It is not your problem. You see, when, you, when we talk about some people being mean, some people being jerks, some people not liking you, there is a difference between some people and all people. Don't confuse the two. Don't say that nobody likes me. All people hate me. That's just not true. That's absolutely not true. Just because some people make you feel bad or some people make you feel unloved, don't put that on all people. There are people who love you. Your pastor loves you. And more importantly, God loves you. God loves you so much that he proved it. That he sent his only son to die on a cross just so he could have a relationship with you. God loves you. You, you are very loved. Let me just say something very quickly to those of you that are parents. Parents, your children need you to say to them, I love you. It doesn't matter how young they are. It doesn't matter how old they are. It is a powerful thing when a parent tells a child, I love you. Why is it a powerful thing? Because love is the most powerful force in the world. So parents, use that force. You tell your kids that you love them. I've heard people say, I don't need to say it. They talk like that too. I don't need to say it. They know that I love them. I don't have to say it out loud. That's hogwash. You need to say it even if you've never said it before, especially if you've never said it before. You need to say it today. You might wonder, well, how often do I need to say it? Here's the answer to that question. More. That's how often you need to say it. More. How often you say it to your kids right now, you need to double it. Okay? Do you understand the amount of negativity that creeps into your kids' lives each and every day at school with mean people at school, with mean social media, with mean this and mean that? We're up against it. We have to over-communicate. 
We have to tell our kids that we love them. Listen to me. If your kids or your grandkids are here in this room right now, I want you to go to them right now if they're not seated next to you, and I want you to tell them this. The pastor is making me tell you that I love you. All right, so get up. Go tell your kids that you love them. Tell them right now. All words, tell your kids you love them. If you've got grandparents here, your grandparents have to say it too. That's right. The pastor's making me do it, and then add this, but I really do. Okay? Now let me add this, parents. You need to hug your kids. You need to hug your kids. You can't spell the word smother without mother. You know what I mean? You need to hug those kids. You need to smother them with hugs and kisses and love. Because here's the deal. Before you know it, they'll be gone. You'll wake up one day and say, what happened? How did my kids get so big? Because you kept feeding them. You keep feeding them, they get big, and then they move out. How rude of them to move out on us, just like we did our parents. You need to remember, parents, you are renting your kids for about two decades. But they're not yours. They belong to God. They belong to God. And so use your time with them wisely. Love on them. You know, have you ever discovered that the older your kids get and the cooler your kids get, the less they want you to hug them? Do it anyway. Do it in front of their friends. Embarrass them. They'll tell you to stop, but they don't mean it. They like it. They need it. Because you know what makes a kid feel great? When their friends see it, and they say, man, you got some really cool parents. I wish my mom or my dad hugged me like that. And their friends might not say it, but they're thinking it. Because we all need it. We all need it. Okay? One last little word to the dads on this subject of love. Dads. Your daughter needs you to hug her. Especially when she starts changing into a young lady and she feels awkward about herself. And you think, I don't, I don't know how to hug her, you know, because she's changing. And, and it doesn't matter. You need to hug your daughter, dads. She needs that from her daddy. And if her daddy stops giving her hugs, she may become tempted to be embraced by some other male with less honorable intentions than you. You need love on your kids. Let them know. Make sure they know that they are loved. I hear people with another lie that they voice. They say, well, I, I'm just a burden to other people. That's a lie. You're not a burden to other people. You are a blessing to other people. Let me tell you the truth about burdens. You are not a burden. Nobody is 
a burden. The reality is that all of us have burdens. And God has designed us to bear one another's burdens. Sometimes my burdens get too heavy for just me. I need a brother to come along and bear them with me. That's how God has designed it. And so when you start thinking that you are a burden, you're only seeing a fraction of the whole picture. The reality is that sometimes you have burdens that other people can help you with. And sometimes others have burdens that you can help bear. And when we bear one another's burdens, what do we become? We become blessings. You're a blessing to other people. So do not dare think that you are nothing but a burden. That is not true. And you are not allowed to pretend that you are not a blessing to others. That's not fair for you to do. It's not reality. And just because you have difficulty seeing how you might be a blessing to other people because of the pain that you're in, it doesn't mean that your perspective is true. What is true is the Word of God. God's Word, the Bible, is true. Your feelings can lie to you. But God never will. God will never lie to you. And He says that you are a blessing. I hear people talk about this lie. Well, suicide ends the pain. That's a lie. That is a lie. And I want to tell you, the pains of this world are real. Whether they are spiritual pains, whether they are physical pains, they are real. And sometimes it hurts bad. Sometimes the pain of life hurts bad. 2007, two discs in my lower back ruptured and pinched my spinal canal closed. Think about hitting your funny bone. When you do that, you're hitting like the ulnar nerve, I think it is, and, and all this pain radiates through your arm, and it, and it lasts for a few seconds, right? Well, consider having that in the lower half of your body for 20 days. That's what I went through. It was real pain. That kind of pain, I'm a big guy, and I don't cry because of physical pain. I may, I may complain. I might try to get some pizza out of it. I may be a bad patient, you can ask my wife, but... I don't, I don't cry because of physical pain, but that pain had tears, literal tears, rolling down my face. That was a bad pain. This one woman that I encountered said, what happened? I told her about the discs that were pinching my spinal canal closed, and she said that, that it ruptured. And she said, that happened to me. She said, that was the worst pain of my life. It was worse than labor. I said, thank you. Never again can a woman hold it over my head. Well, you just don't know the pain of labor. <laughs> Ladies, I've, had it, I've heard it from one of your teammates. It was worse. So you'll have to talk to them, get, get on the same page about that. But, you know, pain is real. Pain is real. And I would add, I'm, I'm grateful for the surgery that I had, and I do not live in pain like that anymore. But pain is real. It's a part of life. But if you think that suicide ends the pain, you're sadly mistaken. You see, God's Word seems to indicate that there's a much more worse pain that exists for those who enter eternity apart from God. 
And God's word seem to, seems to indicate that never gets better. Now, do I believe that if a person commits suicide, they automatically go to hell? No. Even believing Christians, even believing Christians can get to such a dark point in their lives that they give up all hope, that they lose perspective. Believers can make bad decisions, and the bad decisions they make does not change the fact that they are believers. It doesn't change the fact that they are forgiven. They just got into a dark place spiritually, and they started listening to and believing some lies. I hear people say, well, hey, I won't be missed. That's a lie. That's a lie. I've officiated a large number of funerals in my ministry. I have yet to be the only one there. There's always other people that miss the person that's gone. You see, you have bigger, you have a bigger and more important impact on other people than you know. But when you're feeling down and low and sad and life gets dark and lonely and confusing, what happens is you focus more and more on yourself. And so small problems become amplified in your mind. Temporary setbacks feel like permanent realities. And the people that you can depend on, they're still there, but you convince yourself that they're not there for you. And so you feel overwhelmed and alone. You think, oh, there's no good days ahead. That's not true. There, there are many good days ahead. There are good days ahead. And more importantly, you are valued very, very much. You see, the lies about life and death that suicidal people verbalize are the very same lies that our society subtly communicates to those who are the most weak and the most vulnerable. We have a growing culture of death in our society because we are getting away from the sanctity and the culture of life that is instilled into the Christian faith. According to certain elements in our society, the life of a preborn baby is so invaluable and such a terrible burden that it can simply be eliminated through abortion. And some women these days actually take to social media to celebrate their abortions in a clear attempt to bury their own guilt and glorify this culture of death. Is it any surprise that we heard this week about the woman in New Mexico who threw her newborn baby in the trash. And this is nothing new. This is nothing new. It's what the pagans of Rome did all the time over 1,600 years ago. I'm sure her attorney will just call it an attempted post-birth abortion, which, of course, he'll say is a woman's right to choose. I mean... If the result is the same, then what's the big deal? It's a culture of death. And is it any surprise that suicides and attempted suicides among people of all ages, but especially teenagers, have risen to epidemic levels recently? 
Decade after decade of pushing a culture of death narrative has ingrained these lies into the minds of people. And then, when the pandemic comes along, society tells these same people who have heard loud and clear the message that life is not worth living, that then they have to do the very things that are contrary to the nature that God gave us as humans. Stay away from other people. Never touch anyone. Don't touch your face. Wash your hands again. Longer like you have OCD. Wear a mask at all times out in public. Never see another person smile. Never show them yours. Wear your mask when you're driving your car alone with the windows rolled up. (laughs) And unless you're Dr. Fauci at a baseball game or part of the elite in our society, you must always wear your mask. But if you're part of the elite, then you're exempt. You might wonder, well, how do I know if I'm part of the elite class if you have to ask? You're not in the club. Sorry. (laughs) Educate your kids via a computer screen without adult supervision. Don't let them be around other kids. And make sure they wear their masks when they're isolated at home. Let's see how they turn out. You see, when you combine a culture of death with anti-natural directives, you end up with people that hate their lives. Think about it. People today hate their lives. I hate this. I hate this. People constantly say, this is not what God designed. This is not natural. This is not what God teaches about life. You see, what God teaches about life and death are found in His Word, the Bible. And I want to share with you very briefly three powerful truths about life and death. Number one, life and death are not just states of existence. They are powers. Life is a power. It is a force. Death is a power. Hebrews 2, 14 and 15 says, Now since the children have flesh and blood in common, Jesus also shared in these, so that through his death he might destroy the one holding the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who were held in slavery all their lives by the fear of death. You see, back way back in Genesis, God breathed into humanity the power of life. But when Adam sinned against God, the power of death became also a very real thing for us. These two forces, life and death, are at work within every single one of us. Secondly, life and death are parts of two conflicting kingdoms in the spiritual world. The spiritual kingdom that gives power to death is the kingdom of this world. It's what Adam brought to humanity when Adam sinned. Sometimes the Bible calls it this age, or the age of this world. And the fruit of that kingdom includes sickness and sorrow and sin and death. And you and I, and every other person 
lives in this realm of the spiritual kingdom of this world. We have to deal with the corruption and the contamination and the injustices and the falsehoods and the distortions and the heartaches and the sickness and the death of this world. But there is another kingdom that also exists in the spiritual realm, and it is what the Bible calls the kingdom of God, or sometimes the Bible calls it the age to come. And that term age to come might make you think that it's not here yet, but that's not true. Jesus brought the age to come. He brought that future kingdom into this present world now. With Jesus came the kingdom of God. And in the age to come, there is healing of sickness. There is forgiveness of sin. There is the restoration from sorrow. And best of all, in the kingdom of God, death gives way to life. Death is the one enemy that none of us can defeat. It is the one power that none of us can overcome. But God sent his son, Jesus, into this world of sin and death. And during Jesus' life, not once did he give in to the power of sin. And when Jesus died on the cross, he took all of our sins upon himself. And then Jesus defeated death, the greatest enemy, by rising from the grave. Third point about life and death is this. Life and death are a choice. They are a choice. You see, near the end of Moses' life, some 3,500 years ago, all of Israel gathered together. There was a new generation now, a younger generation, that needed to learn how to walk with God once Moses was no longer with them. And so Moses spoke some words to all of Israel that day, and these are words that we need to hear today. Deuteronomy 30, verses 19 and 20. I call heaven and earth as witnesses against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing, and curse. Choose life so that you and your descendants may live. Love the Lord your God, obey Him, and remain faithful to Him, for He is your life. Life is a choice. Young person, I want you to hear me. Life is a choice that you can choose. If you're tired of this world, of sickness and sin and death, choose life. Love the Lord your God. Obey Him. Remain faithful to Him. If you're depressed and downtrodden and despairing, choose life. Love the Lord your God. Obey Him and remain faithful to Him. If you're wavering in your faith, have you drifted away from God, drifted away from God's people, choose life. Love the Lord your God. Obey Him and remain faithful to Him. And you might say, okay, but I I don't know how. Where do I begin? Here's how you begin. Let's talk to God. 
That's how it begins. You and him talking. Let's talk to God. Let's tell God that we love him. Let's tell God that we want to obey him. Let's tell God we want to be faithful. Why? Because he's our life. So let's not fight against him. Let's embrace life. Let's choose life today. If you want to choose life, you need to understand that true life is found in Jesus Christ. Where it begins with you and God is this, that you believe that Jesus rose from the grave, that you confess him as Lord over your life. And it's at that point that you will have life with God forever. It's that simple. It's a choice that you make. Will you choose God today and choose life?